You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. If you got your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. You ever notice in your life that there are circumstances that come, some good, some bad, that you and I have no control over. There's a sense in which for every single one of us, stuff happens in our lives, and sometimes we just don't know why. It's one of the reasons we've been clinging to this verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where the apostle Paul says, and we know that in all things God works together for good to those who love him. Reminded ourselves in this portion of Scripture, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you're far from God, good and bad things happen to you. It's not as if because you know Christ is your Savior, less bad things are going to happen to you. The rain falls on both the just and the unjust, the Scripture says. But for believers in Jesus Christ, for people who surrender their lives, the promise is this, that God's going to work it for good. And we've got to be honest with each other. It may not feel good to us. It may not work out at all. But God is ultimately going to take everything that happens in our life, both the good and the bad, and somehow he's going to work on our character, honing and refining us more to the likeness of Jesus. He is going to bring about good. And the opening three words in this, now we know, are powerful for me. That every single one of us doesn't guess, doesn't wonder, doesn't question, is it possible God could work this out for good? He says, listen, we know this. We know that all things God is working together for good to those of us who love him. Now today we're going to talk about this idea of healing. If stuff happens, we're going to talk about the fact today that healing happens. Now several years ago I was out working on my deck. In fact, I was doing some chores around the house and I had a hammer with me. And eventually there came a time when I was going to pound some nails just a little bit deeper into our deck, and I hit my thumb. Now, I Googled this, and here's what happened when I hit my thumb. The first thing that happens is your body sends from your thumb all the way to your brain these shockwaves that say, listen, don't do that again. Not a good thing. It's painful to go through. Stop hitting your thumb. The second thing that happens is platelets make their way through your blood in order to begin the clotting process because I'm bleeding everywhere. And Beth comes out in tremendous compassion and says, listen, don't bleed over my new deck, will you? (laughs) And then here's the third thing that happens. These little Pac-Man shoot through your veins and eventually they eat all of the bacteria to try to prevent from infection happening. And then the last thing that happens is your body is there is a remodeling process where all of the old scales that have been killed now are replaced with new ones, and there begins to be this healing process that happens in your body. When that happened, here's the fascinating thing. I didn't do anything. There was a sense in which God had designed our bodies to have the ability somehow to heal itself. Now, I learned two things about that going through that process. Number one, I shouldn't do chores around the house. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, if you see Beth today, could you just tell her, hey, we need Jeff here every Sunday. That guy's dangerous, so make sure that he doesn't do any chores. Here's the second thing I learned, that healing happens. 
Sometimes it's slower than what we want. Sometimes it's in a different direction than what we want. Sometimes it leaves us with a limp. Sometimes it leaves us with a scar. But here's the reality. Healing happens. Not only do we see this in the physical body, but we see it in nature as well. If there has been a great forest fire that has ripped through a large forest and everything is charred, over time you will begin out of the charring, out of the ashes, to see these green sprouts as it begins to take form once again. They tell me that if there is ever a fire in the sequoias, that the sequoias sort of have this God-built-in initiative that when heat comes their way due to a fire, that they drop these acorns that will eventually grow new sequoias there. God has sort of written into the DNA of human beings, written into the DNA of nature, that they have this healing ability. In fact, it's interesting to note that the children of Israel from the Old Testament always referred to God as this healing God that one of the characteristics, one of the very attributes of God was he is a God who heals. Now see if you agree with me on this. There are two types of people in the world. There are pitchers, people who throw stuff away, and then there are savers, right? Often you marry each other. One of you is a pitcher, one of you is a saver. I remember early in our marriage, we had bought a goldfish for our kids. And eventually one of the kids came to us and said, listen, the goldfish seems to be swimming on the top of the water. And Beth says to me, listen, that goldfish is not good. Throw that goldfish down the toilet and get a new one. Then I had this chair, kind of a lazy boy that I loved to sit in. It had my hair gel on the back of it. It had a broken arm. And eventually Beth goes, listen, that chair is no good. Get rid of that chair. Get a new one. The next day I had a cold, but I didn't tell Beth, even though I wasn't doing good, because I knew which category she fell into. <laughs> but isn't it true that our God is a saver, not a pitcher, not one who throws things away? This is a God who loves somehow to heal. He loves to restore. He loves to take things that are worn out and broken, and he loves to make them brand new again. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 19, it says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. The picture here is of God, sort of like the wings of an eagle, that when its child is hurting, maybe it's broken a wing, maybe it's sick, it actually puts it on its back or tucks it underneath the wing and it begins to fly with it if it doesn't have the ability to fly. Later on, the scripture not only tells us that this God who is like an eagle has healing wings, but it also tells us that under his wings you will find refuge. So the wings of God in scripture are seen as this healing place, but the wings of God in scripture are also seen in this place when you can hide. That when an eagle sees its little chicks coming and there is fear and nervousness around them, it spreads its wings and the little chick hides underneath the wings of the eagle. Now, when it talks about wings in the Hebrew language, it is actually using the word hanaf. And the word hanaf refers to a prayer shawl, literally the corners of a prayer shawl, sometimes known as a tzitzi, where there is a sense, the keeping of the commands and the prayers of the people. And most people who were Jewish in that day and age would make their way off into the Western Wall because there they thought the presence of God resided. 
And the men especially would put this prayer shawl over their head and they would begin to pray underneath it so that when they looked to the left and looked to their right, they couldn't see anything. They would just concentrate and focus on God and him alone. So now the scripture tells us, hey, listen, in the very kanaf, hanaf of God, there is sort of on the corners of his garment this healing, this power, this refuge that you and I can take. In fact, Malachi, as he begins to predict the coming of the Messiah, says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. In other words, the Messiah that is coming will be much like God the Father. He will have in his very kanaf this idea of healing in his wings, healing in his power at the very corners of the hem of his garment because the Messiah will be a rabbi. When he comes, there in the corner of his garment is going to be healing. In fact, pretty soon we're going to start to sing Christmas carols together. Any of you remember the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? There's a line in the song that says, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. There's this understanding that God is a healing God, and when he sends the Messiah, the Messiah will come, and in his very hanaf, in his very corners of his garment, under his wing, there will be healing as well. We saw God in the Old Testament heal Hezekiah. We see God in the New Testament heal Naaman of leprosy. He is this healing God. Now as we come to Mark chapter 5, the scripture tells us Jesus, this rabbi, is on the scene. And he's not only known as a tremendous teacher, but he's also known as a healer. And the scripture, we pick it up in Mark chapter 5, verse 24, when it says this, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him, that is Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had on those doctors, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, just an aside for a moment, this story is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four New Testament Gospels. It's fascinating to me, though, that only Matthew and Mark record the fact that she gave all of her money to doctors and it didn't do any good. Anybody want to guess the profession of Luke? Luke was a doctor. And he made a decision, listen, I'm not going to include any disparaging remarks about me or about my colleagues, so to speak. But here comes this woman, and she had been bleeding for 12 years. I'm sure at this point in time, she's suffering from anemia. She's tired. She's worn out. It's likely because all of her money had been spent at doctors. Now she's just a beggar. She's standing at the gates of the city, and she's asking people for money which can be incredibly embarrassing, can't it? And the scripture says by Jewish law, she was declared to be unclean. In other words, she couldn't be around other people. They were convinced that you caught this sort of by touching her. So she was isolated from all of the people around her. And I can imagine, can't you, that much like they do in today's day and age, people were whispering about her, hey, maybe she just doesn't have enough faith to be healed. Maybe there's tremendous sin in her life, and that's why she's going through this suffering. But I would guess that this was a mother, because most women in that day and age were mothers. They got married at 13, 14 years of age. I'm guessing she likely had children. 
But she wasn't able to touch them because if she touched them, they would become unclean. If one of her children hit their thumb with a hammer, she couldn't kiss it and make it better. She had to stay away from them. My guess is she couldn't touch her husband as well, and maybe he left her because of that. If she laid in the bed, the bed would become unclean. If she sat in a chair, the chair would be unclean, and anybody who sat in that chair would become unclean as well. And I can imagine that every night as this woman goes to bed, she says, in effect, God, could you please heal me today? Tomorrow when I wake up, is it possible you could remove this infirmity from me? God, could you please heal me? I know you to be a healing God. Would you heal me? And every day she wakes up thinking to herself, nope, not today. But the scripture goes on and it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So here comes Jesus, who she knew from the Old Testament be the Messiah, and the Messiah is one who is going to come with healing in his wings. Therein is enough. He is going to have sort of this healing power, and if somehow I can just get close to him, somehow I can just touch him, everything is going to be changed. And she comes up with this crazy idea. She thinks to herself, here's what I'll do. Forgetting all about Jewish law, I'll just make my way through the crowd. In fact, I'll run toward him. I'll just dive at his feet. If I could just touch his canal, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, things are going to be changed and I'll be healed. She comes up with this crazy idea, which reminds me a little bit of a show that I used to watch when I was a kid entitled I Love Lucy. Any of you remember that show? And the show was this, Lucy would always want to get into the presence of somebody big, kind of a dignitary, maybe much like Jesus. And so she would put on a disguise and she would make her way, trying to figure out how is it possible she could get into the presence of this important person. But all of the time she wanted to make sure that her husband, Ricky Ricardo, never found out, but he always found out. And what he did, what did he say to Lucy? Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Remember that? In this story today, this woman doesn't have a name. Let's just for a moment call her Lucy. And Lucy makes a decision. She comes up with this harebrained idea that somehow she's going to run through the crowd and she's going to dive at the feet of Jesus and she's going to touch him. There was something in that day and age about touch. It's true in our day and age, isn't it? If you want to get somebody's attention, you touch them. Moms, you see it with your kids all the time. They touch you constantly. Mom, 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 mom. Maybe you see it in other areas of your life. You see it with those who are welcomers or greeters around here. If they need to give out information, people often come to them and touch them and say, hey, i got a question for you. Now she makes a decision. Here's what she's going to do. She's going to come up with this crazy idea before anybody catches her and throws her in jail because she is breaking Jewish law. She is going to run through the crowd and she is going to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. So the scripture says she does that. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. What an amazing story, the power of God that goes out as she touches his tzitzi as somehow she gets under his wings where very healing takes place. Now my thought would be this, isn't this the end of the story? I mean, after all, that's what the woman came for. She came for healing. End of story, right? Now it goes on. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned to the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, 
who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see it had been done. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. This portion of Scripture shows both the humanity and the deity of Jesus. The deity of Jesus and that power, much like his father goes out from him, there is healing in his wings. But we also see the humanity of Jesus. He goes, listen, I don't know who touched me. Who touched me? And the disciples sort of laugh at Jesus and go, who touched you? Are you kidding me? You're in the midst of crowds of hundreds of people. Everybody touched you. He said, no, listen, I know power went out from me. Who touched me? Then he sees this woman at his feet, and he says to her, in effect, Lucy, you've got some explaining to do. And here's how she responds. She told him the whole truth. Can I just pause there for a moment? If you want healing from Jesus in your life, you're going to have to tell him the whole truth. You're going to have to be honest with him about your failure, about your shortcoming, about your infirmity, about your difficulty, about your sin. You've got to tell him the whole truth if you want healing in your life. So this woman tells him the whole truth. Hey, God, I haven't had enough faith. I haven't prayed enough. I I haven't trusted. Whatever it is, she tells him the whole truth. And then the scripture goes on to say this. And Jesus replies to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter. A word that she had longed to hear. Daughter of Israel, but even more importantly, daughter of God. And why does Jesus go on in this conversation? I mean, this is a little bit embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, you healed this woman. Just let her go. Now she's in the middle of a crowd, and now you're asking her further questions. I can't think of anything more embarrassing for her than this. Just let her go. Jesus said, listen, I don't want her just to have physical healing. I want her to have spiritual healing as well. I want her to know the healer. So he cries out to her daughter. I want you to know that I want you to follow after me. You are the very kind of person in this world that I am looking for. People, do you know, don't you, that when you come to Jesus, it's okay not to be okay? It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay when you come to Sunnybrook. We often say at Sunnybrook, hey, listen, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything through Christ is possible. Jesus is saying, listen, could you come and could you follow me? Because this is the very kind of person that has come to the end of themselves and they trust in me as the healer that I want to continue to follow after me. This story, if you read later, Mark chapter 5, comes in the midst of another story. A story of a girl who was 12 years of age and she was about to die. In fact, eventually she does. And her father shows up and he comes to the town where Jesus was and he begs Jesus, could you come after me and touch and heal my daughter? And Jesus is actually on his way when this woman with the issue of bleeding accosts him. And he's got to be thinking to himself, Jairus that is, Jesus, tell this woman to take a number. I was here first, keep coming with me. Jairus, if you know the story, was of the upper echelon of this community. He was well-connected. He was wealthy. He was one of the temple workers. He was 
well-known in the community. He had power. He had prestige. But Jesus, by healing this woman, is saying, in all honesty, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a nobody in my presence, no such thing. And I'm going to make my way to Jairus's, and I'm going to heal him, but he has no greater right to the power of God in his life than this woman who doesn't even have a name, this woman that's been ostracized from the community, this woman that nobody cares about. People today, I don't know what your need is, but I want you to come with the same humility that this woman had. I want you to come, whatever the need is in your life for healing, maybe it's physical, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's emotional. Maybe there's been a relationship in your life that's broken down. Whatever it is, we want to ask you today to come. Because we are convinced that there is a God who loves you so much that he actually went to the cross of Calvary to redeem you. And he is not only a teacher, but he's also a healer. And in his very wings, in his enough, is this idea of the healing power of God. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote the book, Lord of the Rings. And J.R.R. Tolkien, maybe you didn't know this, but is a believer in Jesus Christ and he believes in a healing God. And when he wrote the book, Lord of the Rings, in it are a whole bunch of people that need healing. Gollum and Frodo and the land, it all needs healing. And he is convinced that the king who sits on the throne has the power to heal. It's one of the reasons he writes, for it is said in old lore, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. And so the rightful king could ever be known. Tolkien was convinced that kings, because they had tremendous power, had the ability out of that power to actually heal people. What's fascinating to me, though, is that Jesus never healed out of his power. He actually healed out of his weakness. Do you remember in Isaiah chapter 15 or 53, it says this, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. That out of the very crown that was placed on his head, the crown of thorns, by the stripes on his back, by the fact that a spear was thrust into his side and the blood and the water flowed through this weakness, somehow you and I are healed. When you and I surrender, when you and I reach out to Jesus. So today, here's how we're going to close this service. Some of our prayer warriors are going to come up, and they're going to line the front of the stage, and they're going to ask, as the singing begins, you make your way forward. And whatever you need to mouth to them in the area of healing in your life, just do so. Just say in one sentence, or maybe even in one word, here's where I need healing. They're going to place their hand on you, and they're going to pray for you. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast, where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church podcast.